right, we're back on the Fan Morning Show. Sportsnet 590, the fan. Keep your text coming at 590-590. Send in your wake and rake picks as well. I was the trapdoor last night. It's been a while since I lost one, but all good things come to an end. No problem. We'll get back on. Notice how I just, no commentary on my end. Yeah, it's it's great. I just won about 12 in a row, so <laughs> you can suck it. All right. Um, in honor of St. Patrick's Day today, Justin and I will be drafting our starting lineup of Patrick athletes. Patrick's. Patrick's. And they will be athletes that are, are they living? Justin, this is always an important thing to... Um, I believe all of mine are living. Okay. All my options, there might be, I might be missing something. I hope not. I'll try <laughs> to keep it with the uh, the ones I know who are You're not going to pick someone still from alive. 1642, some gladiator Sur- Surprisingly, named there weren't any like sword. legendary Patricks that have like made indelible marks on the world that I had at my uh, disposal here. Okay. No, no Patricks... From the early 1900s, that made a huge mark. <laughs> we'll for me. see. We'll see. Um, so I've written down a bunch of Patrick's. So it was kind of fun to go through this because Patrick's a popular name. If you're naming your kid something and you want them to be I, an athlete, I name was, him Patrick. I was actually a little disappointed with the Patrick uh, content. Well, I guess I'm going to win this. There draft are like then. zero Patrick's in the NHL right now. There are a couple, but there are not many. There's more than zero. There are not. There are not as many as I thought. That's all I'm saying. Okay, so they can be any sport, and they can be anyone with Patrick in the name. Okay, sure. Okay. Are you, pick, are you going Danica? Is that what you're... Can you... So we have a coin to flip. <laughs> we have a coin to flip. And hold on. And the winner gets... Am I calling it or are you calling you it? You call it. I'm flipping. All right. Heads. Winner gets... First pick. First pick. Tails. All right. Go ahead. I know who you're picking first. Crap. There's only one first overall draft pick. If I didn't make this selection, I would already be... Turning my team into the down. gutter. Patrick Mahomes, two-time Super Bowl MVP, of course. That means he's a two-time two Super Bowl winner, two-time league MVP as well. Maybe the best athlete on the planet right now, at least in professional sports, the big four professional sports. Mm. He's the guy. He's the best quarterback in the game. He's the biggest athlete in the biggest sport in North America, or at least the biggest sport south of the border. Patrick Mahomes is the number one overall draft pick. There's no other way to go than that, so... I'm glad you did it and you didn't go off the off the deep end. I'm going to go with Patrick Kane. Um, he's a Art Ross Trophy winner, a Ted Lindsay Award winner, a Hart Memorial Trophy winner, a Conn Smythe Trophy winner, a Calder Memorial Trophy winner, a Stanley Cup winner, three times over. He's showtime. He just moved to the New York Rangers to live out this, the end of his career in glory. I'm putting Patrick Kane as my first overall selection. Because you got the greatest U.S.-born player in history, maybe, and Patrick Kane, I will immediately counter with another legend from the NHL named Patrick. Uncle Patrick Waugh. Oh. Go Patrick Waugh. Okay, I thought you were going to be like, oh, they don't play anymore. No, no, not not all my people play. Patrick Waugh, maybe the greatest goaltender in NHL history, probably just a smidge, maybe a couple smidges behind Dominic Hasek, but Patrick Waugh still in the conversation. He's got all those Stanley Cup rings that plug his ears when he doesn't want to hear what other people say. Uh, Patrick Waugh is as legendary as Patrick gets, and he'll be my... uh, He'll be my hockey player, I think. I don't know if I'll have another one, but Patrick Waugh is a legend, and he's on my squad. Okay, I'm going with a Patrick that didn't have the most prolific playing career, but automatically makes my team the A, most enjoyable, most star-studded, and you will not want to miss a moment 
Damn, I was going to go there. Because I'm drafting Damn. Pat McAfee. I didn't think you'd go that way. Or Patrick McAfee, because that's his real name. So Pat McAfee is my second overall selection, and it's off the it's off the radar, and I thought a lot about this one, and it is I, an I impeccable choice. He was number two on my list, and I'm like, I'm going to get him third overall here. And you swooped in. Okay. 500,000 people tuned into his pod or his live yeah, discussion with Aaron Rodgers. It's Rogers. not just about athletics. He's it's a, about the impact. real deal. And that's a great selection, I think, at number two uh, for you. Puts me in a little bit of a bind because that's where I was going to go I know. next. I think we've had the same top four here. I'm going to go, oh, man. Oof. This is where it runs a little thin. It does. I'm going to be honest with you. There's not that many Patricks. I'm going to go, oh, man. I need a cheater. I need someone who cheats. No, you're not going to be Pat Bev. I'm going Patrick Reed. Oh. I'm going to Patrick Reed. He's making a ton of money Gross. on the Live Golf Tour right now. But what other Patrick has won a Masters? And what thing, What what is the, maybe the most legendary thing in the world to win? I think the Green Jackets you among think? them. Mm. I think the Green Jacket is as impressive as an accomplishment as any Patrick on my list. So I'm going to go with the cheater. I'm going to go heal a little bit. The guy who cheats and steals money out of people's wallets and <laughs> drops balls that are OB because no one else is watching uh, on a random tournament. Patrick Reed's on my team, the big cheat. Perfect for me because I'm going with one of the best of all time, Patrick Ewing. Okay. Maybe the best college basketball player of all time. We're talking NCAA. Um, you go through his NBA career and it is storied. He is a Hall of Famer. He is an Olympic gold medalist. And he's bringing some leadership and a little bit of age to my team. But he's a legend. Patrick Ewing, my third overall selection. Yeah, Patrick, I don't have like much personal Patrick Ewing memories. Definitely the the greatest... NBA player named yeah. Patrick, I would say. I don't think you're. I don't think you're topping that at all. I'm not not off the top of my head, at least. So uh, definitely a good pick um, there. I will go with. I'm going international here. Patrick Vieira, three-time Premier League winner, Premier League Player of the Year, current manager at Crystal Palace, won a World Cup, World Cup runner-up with France. I need to. I need to play to the international audience a little bit. I'm getting people. Overseas on my team, Patrick Vieira, legendary I'm footballer. I'm sure that'll, that'll move the needle. Eh? A legendary footballer. Just because you don't care about the the global game, just because <laughs> you're in your silo thinking about mm-hmm. Princeton and and Dartmouth mm. and Ivy League rivalries right. and what's happening in a very individual That's and it. you know a, away from society type For of sure. thing. I'm going with the global game. Someone who's had an impact globally, Patrick Vieira. All right, that's really cool. Um, so I got two more left, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, tough, eh? You mentioned it already. A woman. Danica. You're going Danica? I'm going to go Danica Patrick because, Justin, I need a woman on my team here. As somebody that advocates for female in sport, I can't okay, once again right, have right, a draft like you did I mean, that it is one a pat- time. It's a, it's a male name, Patrick. It's just, I, I mean, Danica the fact Patrick. that we're going to have mainly na- males is right. probably not much of a surprise. Most successful woman in the history of American open wheel car racing. <laughs> She's a former professional racing driver. And you know what? She probably paved the way for a lot of women 
in the world to chase their dreams. And I'd like to have one woman on my team. In a Patrick draft. Danica Patrick. Okay. Um, now there are a couple good options here for my final pick. <laughs> I'm going to go, because I didn't get McAfee, and I want a little like social media bump, someone in the media, not in the media, but someone who's I like know where you're going this in one. the mind of everybody else right now. I'm going to go with Patrick Pimblett. Patty Pimblett. Ow. UFC fighter, one of the biggest names, not the biggest talent, but one of the biggest names in the UFC, one of the big draws in the UFC now. And I'm going over, I'm, again, I'm an international squad here. The English-based, Liverpool-based Patty Pimblett will be my last pick. Patrick Pimblett. Okay. Um, lots of people texting in some good ones. I don't, I don't want to cheat and read them, but. Oh, I'm done now, so you can. Um, I'm going to award two captains to each team. I have a captain, well. too. Okay, I mean, I I'll, I'll award two. I'm going to award a player to each team when you're done. I will select a Canadian Patrick. Patrick Chan, Olympic gold medalist. Okay. And That's good I need someone with some finesse, someone that can skate well. If this is a on-ice team, I don't know, but whatever team this is, he's a gold medalist uh, and a silver medalist and a three-time world champion. And... I also need some help with my skating, so Patrick Chan will be my selection. <laughs> okay, Patrick Chan. Okay, I want to give I want to give a winner to each team, someone who can give a little prestige to each group. Two guys, two Patricks, who have recently won three consecutive championships in their chosen sports. Would you like Pat Maroon or Pat McCaw? You're Raptors the one that, legend you're Pat next McCaw. In line, so. We're done. Our teams. This yeah, but is, you, you pick who you want as your extra, your MVP or your coach or whatever. Ooh. I already have a hockey player. I don't have a basketball player. I'll give myself Pat McCaw. Okay, well, Pat Maroon and Pat McAfee will be an incredible duo, those two. I'm glad you give me Pat Maroon. Um, I also thought, as a coach, I'd like Pat Quinn. Pat Burns, I'll take. Let's do it. There you go. All right. One coach aside. Perfect. So we're all set there. Um, Patrick Marlowe has been texted in the line. Pat Burns has been texted in the line. Pat Maroon has been texted. Patrick Reed. Patrick Ewing, yeah, got him. Don't worry about it. Vieira just got fired this morning, Mark says. (laughs) (laughs) I hope that's a true text, Mark says. That that. is very, very funny. Uh, Patrick (laughs) Vieira got fired when I drafted him fourth overall. Not fourth overall, fourth on my team. Uh, Here's the one last one before I take a break. Do thoroughbred horses count? There was Ard Patrick from 1899 to 1923. Irish bred British train won the Derby in 1902. Come on. We could get an animal each, I think. We could find a Patrick... For me, I'm I'm not taking the horse. You can have the horse. Oh, they're a red horse. Um, okay, wait, run down your team one more time. I'm just typing mine out. So okay, we can have our final discussion. My team, and I won with Patrick Mahomes. First overall, Patrick Mahomes, Patrick Waugh, Patrick Reed, Patrick Vieira, and Patrick Patty Pimblett with my winner, my resident winner being Patrick McCaw, who won a title here with the Raptors and a couple titles with the Golden State Warriors. Three in a row. Okay, so I've got Patrick Kane, Pat McAfee, Patrick Ewing, Danica Patrick, Patrick Chan, my winner, Pat Maroon, which I already have some winners, so I've got many winners, and my coach, Pat Quinn. Shout out to Patrick's today. Happy St. Patrick's Day. If you're a Patrick today, which everyone's a Patrick today, have a crispy one. That's right. Um, uh, okay, on the other side of the break, oh, no, we have to do something to chew on. Brought to you by Great Canadian Meats. Yum, yum, yum. Holy, you almost forgot. Just so full of... Patrick's. Patrick talk. Hot Patrick talk. Hot Patrick talk. Okay, this is uh, NBA related as well. We can find it here in a moment. 
Um, oh, yes, Michael Jordan in talks to sell his majority stake in the franchise of the Charlotte Hornets. He, this was announced yesterday, six-time NBA champ, of course, had paid $275 million for the mm-hmm. franchise. They currently sit 22 and 49, 14th in the Eastern Conference. Obviously been uh, hampered by some injuries this season, but he wants out. Well, I guess that'll be a quick little payday for him. He'll make more than the 275 that he needed to buy the team, to sell the team. He never seemed like he like loved being an owner. I feel like it's just a thing you got to do when you're Michael Jordan. Yeah, you just own things. You know what I'm thinking? Maybe he wants to buy the Ottawa Center. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> him and him and Ryan Reynolds, which is, that's all they need. With hey, the my, Mint, Mint Michael Jordan bought the Ottawa Senators. <laughs> Mint Mobile <laughs> and the Charlotte Hornets being sold so that Michael Jordan and Ryan it's Reynolds certainly something to chew on. Can co-share the Ottawa Senators. All right, uh, we're going to talk to another champion. Not a Patrick, but Mark Recchi, three-time Stanley Cup champ and Hockey Hall of Famer on the other side of the break. Tee up Leafs and Hurricanes tonight and look around uh, what makes a championship team. That's next. Big opinions and in-depth conversations covering the Leafs, Jays, Raptors, and the NFL. The J.D. Bunkins Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we're back on the Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. A couple Patricks that we missed. Patrick Laine. Yeah. Pat Riley. That's a good one. Patrick Borders. Oh, Pat Borders. Yeah, he was actually on my list. I'm like, Patrick Borders? Who's I know, that? well, that's the text in. Patrick. Um, one celebrity Patrick that sits courtside. You got to choose one quick for your team. Sajak. Pat Sajak. Ooh, Patrick Swayze for me. What? Yeah, well, deal with it. I wanted Patrick Swayze. Well, you said you went first. Sajak's actually a fan, though. He's a proven fan. Whatever. He's a proven fan of the LA Kings. All right. Um, our next guest is here, Mark Recchi, three-time Stanley Cup champion, Hockey Hall of Famer, joining us this morning. Thanks for coming on the show. Oh, my pleasure. How are you guys doing? We're good. Happy St. Patrick's Day. Hope you get some chance to celebrate, enjoy kicking your feet up, watching some football. I mean, some basketball. I mean, maybe some football. A little hockey, too. A little hockey. Uh, enjoy the day. We were just talking about our favorite Patricks of all time. You probably played with some Patricks. Oh, uh, yeah, I did. Patrick Sharp. Hey, he's pretty yeah. good, eh? <laughs> yeah, he's awesome. And that, that that's just one of, like, the many legendary teammates that you've had. Like, I, I, I don't know if you've been asked this before or if you've thought about it too much, but between like Mario and Sid, Lindros, Kovalchuk, Hosa, Bergeron, I feel like you may have the best collection of teammates in NHL history. It was pretty darn good. I can tell you that. I mean, I was pretty fortunate to play with all those guys. And they're awesome. They're awesome people as well. They're, they're all good, uh, great teammates. And, you know, it was a lot of fun playing with them. And, yeah, I, I think uh, I kind of hit the jackpot, you know, for, for the 20-plus years. So it was, it was pretty cool. Well, and you have a lot to do with that as well. Of course, you're a Hall of Famer in your own right. But um, you had a career where you were in a bunch of different dressing rooms. And this is the time of year where it's like, okay, there's new, there are new bodies in the dressing rooms. And they got to figure out a way to be a part of the team because we're just a couple weeks after the deadline, what's like the key to fitting in? What's the key to bouncing around, going to different dressing rooms and making sure that you can be a positive rather than someone who complicates matters. You have three Stanley cups with three different teams, many spots along the way. How did you make, make it so that you could fit in so seamlessly? 
Well, I think the biggest thing is you got to you got to go in willing to just know that you're just a small piece of the puzzle. Um, you're not going into, you know, be a big piece. You're you're just you're just a piece of it. You know, trying to be a championship team. And if you if you have that attitude, you go in with your, you know, just thinking, hey, I'm just going to go try and fit in. I'm going to fit in with my teammates. I'm going to do what I can. I'm going to work hard in practice. Uh, figure out all the different systems we got to figure out, and then uh, just let you know let the game take its take its place from there. And you know, I think if if you go in there with a big ego, I think you're going to struggle. If you go there with you know with the right attitude that you're just going to be a piece of this, uh, I think you'll have great success. So you were successful in terms of winning the Stanley Cup with three different franchises, one with the Carolina Hurricanes, of course, that 2006 Cup run. I'm sure you look back fondly on, and we'll talk about the the current version of the Carolina Hurricanes with you, but what does that run and that, that time frame of your hockey career mean to you? Well, I was pretty special, obviously. I, got, I, was, a, I was a trade deadline acquisition, and, and to go there and, and to be able to win a cup, I mean, I was very fortunate in, early in my career to win one, and then you know, to go 15 years and, and get a second one was uh, pretty incredible. And, you know, I knew some of the guys, I had played with some of the guys, so it was an easy, you know, easy transition just to go in there and play. And, um, you know, it took me, you know, it probably took me about 15, 20 games to, to get acclimated to it, to get acclimated to their pace. Uh, they played at a very fast pace. It, you know, as you recall, it was the first year of, uh, you know, no hooking, no holding and all that. So the pace was a lot higher. And, uh, you know, it was great. I mean, it was just a great dress room to go to and, and a lot of fun to be part of. For a franchise like Carolina, clearly winning a Stanley Cup would have like a massive, massive effect on the fan base, growing permanent roots, winning a Stanley Cup, especially for a team like that at that moment. It was probably huge and, you know, kind of set the table here for the next uh, 15 to 20 years of Carolina being, you know, a really rock solid franchise. That's what happens. Uh, when you won, the, when you win the Stanley Cup, but and that really is a transformative sort of market. Like when you get to the playoffs, it is wild in Carolina. It's really, really impressive. And I, I don't want to under. I've never been at in a, at Carolina's uh, rank for a home game, but I feel like it is a little bit different, and it's a little bit different in every rank. But I wonder if you saw that market in particular kind of transformed during that cup run. Like what was the difference between when you first got there and to when you were winning a Stanley cup, what the vibe was like in the Stanley cup final in that barn and how different it might've been when you first arrived. Well, it was, it was, it was pretty incredible how it did happen. The transition did happen. I mean, um, there was a good group of people that were always there during every game. And it was, and it was somewhat loud as it got closer to playoffs and we got a little bit cranked up and, you know, all of a sudden, the, the tailgating was like, you know, we'd come in for morning skate and it'd be, there'd be, you know, you know, a thousand people tailgating. And, and, you know, and as it got farther along, I mean, the parking lot was full at, you know, 9, 10 in the morning and they were going all day. It was like a football game. And uh, it was just unbelievable, the atmosphere every night in that building. I mean, it was, I mean, it was loud. And, you know, it's incredible. I mean, Montreal gets really loud. Uh, Carolina, like, you know, you get certain places, it's just, it, you know, it's amazing how loud they get. So Lee's headed, uh, back, are, are back home here with the Carolina Hurricanes coming into Scotiabank Arena. How much are you watching the Hurricanes nowadays, uh, the bunch of jerks that have become the lovable guys that uh, are top that Metro division right now, um, which is a fun one to play in, and are looking to make some noise here down the stretch? 
Yeah, well, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm very close with Rod Brindamore, good friends with Rod Brindamore. So, you know, I, you know, I really I cheer for them and, and I cheer for Rod and, and that. But, you know, it's going to be a heck of a game. I mean, they've got a, you know, they've, you know, they had a big injury. Um, that always, you know, now you have to figure out how you're going to replace that. You know, is it, it's going to be, it's got to be through a group. And then you're playing a great team like Toronto. You're coming in and, and you know, they made some great acquisitions and, and they're, you know, they're trying to get on a good run here before the end. It's going to be a heck of a, heck of a hockey game tonight. And I'm looking forward to uh, watching that. There's no promise that either Hurricanes or Maple Leafs will feel what it feels like to play a playoff game in Boston this spring. Uh, but there's a good opportunity that one of them will because Carolina and Toronto are two of the elite teams. And of course, they're chasing Boston, who's going to have home ice advantage as long as they last in the Eastern Conference playoffs. Uh, you spent time in Boston, a longer stay in Boston than you had in Carolina. What does it feel like to be a Bruin in a playoff game in Boston? Because that's one market I have experienced, and it is a daunting task, at least it seems, to go in there because Boston can give its players some serious support. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, you know it's a fantastic sports city, like like a lot of the cities are, but you know it's got every major sport, and it's just you know the the, the Boston fans are very passionate. They're, they're extremely passionate about their teams and. And, uh, you know, it's just a fun place to play. It's a re- obviously original six team, which is, which is incredible, which always adds some, you know, some, some flavor to it. And, and it's just a great place to play. And, and, you know, what they've done as well, uh, over, you know, at the trade deadline, getting some more acquisitions, getting some real character guys that, that fit their program and fit their, how they play is, uh, you know, going to make it a lot tougher for everybody, but, you know, you got to get to the playoffs and you got to, you know, you got to, have momentum no matter what team it is and, and no matter how good they are, you got to build that momentum going into the playoffs and make sure you're at the top of your game then. You played against the Toronto Maple Police uh, quite a few times in your career for, for different organizations. We always say here that it's a game that the guys get up for coming into Toronto, playing an original six franchise. Um, you know, it's always a, a prime time moment. Is that how you felt when you came into Toronto and laced up against the Maple Leafs? Absolutely. It was always a great place to play and, and a fun place to play. I, I actually played my first regular season game there, um, you know, in the old, in the old garden. So mm-hmm. Maple Leaf garden. So that was pretty neat, but, um, but yeah, there, there's such a great atmosphere there and, and it is, it is a fun, you know, you get, especially you get there on a, on a Saturday night, you know, hockey night in Canada, Saturday night. And it's, it's uh, pretty special, you know, and it's just a, it's a fun place to play. They got a great atmosphere. They get, you know, they've, they've had good teams for a long time. And, uh, you know, it's always it's always fun to play there. So good teams for a long time, but uh, been a while since they had a championship team. I wonder what you think a championship identity means to a roster construction. You've been on a few. You know what it, it takes to get over that hump um, and to lift the Stanley Cup. Is there something like a, an underlying character trait or a momentum that a team has heading into the playoffs that just makes them that championship caliber? Yeah, well, they, you know, they they made some great moves. They got some guys that have been have won championships now. They, they, you know, so that you know that helps the guys, you know, that maybe haven't, and you get to a situation where they they can help and they can, you know, talk through it and, and help the guys get through it. Um, obviously, goaltending is always huge. Um, goaltending is a big part of playoffs, and and you know, but you you got to play a, a team game every night, and, and you got to be selfless, and you got to be willing to kind of go above and beyond. And I always say you got to get uncomfortable uh, when you play, and and you know, being uncomfortable is my. You might not block shots during the regular season, but you got to block shots. You might not hit in the regular season, but you got to hit in the playoffs. It's just it's a different ball game. It's a whole new level of game, 
And it's just, uh, you know, you just got to be willing to get to that next level. A Chris Pronger would help. Uh, you experienced that in 06 playing against the Edmonton Oilers. I think, and I was, I'm a little bit biased because I was kind of an Oilers fan back in 06. Uh, Chris Pronger played during that playoff run for them. And you were, of course, focused on what you guys were doing. But the best hockey I think I've ever seen anyone play, at least from the blue line. What was it like dealing with prime Chris Pronger? Uh, he was incredible. He was incredible. He was, uh, he had an edge to him too. He played, it was hard to play against. He, you know, he was, he was obviously very, ta- extremely talented. You know, he was, uh, 200, you know, he, he could play, he was an offense. He had offense in his game, but, uh, you know, he was, uh, you know, he, he was, uh, you know, I don't even know if he won a Norris in his career, but, uh, you know, he was a Norris type defenseman every year. And, you know, you, you had to be, you had to be careful around him. You knew you were going to get cross-checked. You knew you were going to get slashed. You knew it was, you know, you knew you were going to take, uh, you know, take a little bit of beating from him during the game. And, and uh, you know, that's just he. He he was trying to do whatever it took to win. And uh, he was a very competitive guy and, and uh, awesome player. One Norris, one Hart Trophy. Won them in the same year for Chris Pronger uh, way back when. Uh, you played on both sides of the Pennsylvania rivalry twice. Not many play on either side one time. Why were why was it like? I mean, maybe there were some uh, you know angry fans on each side of it, but you generally don't go from Pittsburgh to Philly or Philly to Pittsburgh. What made you go back and forth, cross the Pennsylvania line a couple times in your career? Yeah, well, I was uh, I was a free agent once, and then you know I came back to Pittsburgh as a free agent, and um, you know I went back to I got traded twice back to Philadelphia, so. Um, you know, it was, it was, it was an awesome rivalry. I mean, when it first started, I mean, Pittsburgh, you know, I was part of Pittsburgh when, when Pittsburgh hadn't won in like, I don't know, eight years or something in Philadelphia. So, you know, the rivalry was, was starting to really heat up because Pittsburgh was get, we you know, Pittsburgh was getting good at the time. And, and I was actually, I was in the stands. I wasn't playing that night, but I was in the stand that you know, when Pittsburgh actually beat them for the first time in um, however many years it was. And so, you know, and then it just created even more as, you know, both teams were good it just created more, uh, you know, more excitement and more, you know, passion from, from both sides of Pennsylvania. We've been talking this morning about the state of hockey, you know, making some adjustments and changes, and maybe that's coming with the queue um, in terms of their, their fighting ban. But more specifically, I want to ask you about, you have a son that's playing NCAA now, um, and obviously you've probably been quite close into how his progression has gone in his playing career. I wonder what you see in the differences between young kids playing, starting their careers up now, than when you started up, uh, you know, a couple of years ago and you had your journey throughout um, growing up and getting into the NHL. Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely a lot different now. They got, you know they have a lot more options now, which is great. Um, you know it's it's a lot. You know I think it's important that they have options. They, you know they can go to NCAA. They can play major junior. They can, you know there's so many different good leagues now, and I think it's you know I think it's great for the young guys now, and they're getting opportunities, and and it's you know it's important that they get those opportunities and. You know, I you know I was a major junior kid and and I loved it, but you know my son wanted to play double triple um, NCAA, and I was like, absolutely, that's you know that's a that's a great way to go, and you get an education as you do in in juniors. It's just a different way, and you know I think it's a you know it's an important that they just get that you know that those opportunities wherever, and and there's so much more than what we had. So we were debating whether or not the queue or banning fighting would have really any material effect on maybe prospects or the NHL or how things are, are done at the junior level. 
Where do you stand on that? Do you think it's a good thing? I mean, your your son took the NCAA route where fighting, I don't believe. I don't know if the, the penalty would be what the Q is, is planning, but fighting not a thing at the NCAA level. Where do you think, is there any disadvantage that the Q is welcoming by outlawing fighting, or does it not really matter anymore given how much the game has changed? Yeah, the game's changed so much. I don't. There's not a whole lot of fighting anymore. Any, anyways, um, you know. I, I mean, obviously, I'm I'm part owner of Camloops, and you know, we don't have a lot of fights. And and uh, you know, it's it's you know, that's it's just it, the game's trending away from it. And and you know, players don't really have to fight anymore. And it's you know, it's and it's and it's fine. The hockey's good, and uh, you know, you can't complain about the hockey because it's great hockey. And you know, it's fast. It's exciting. And, uh, you know, so the fighting is going away. I don't know, taking it away, um, you know, might make it a little chippier, um, you know, in, in the sense that, you know, guys know that they definitely don't have to. They, you know, there's always that little, fine, you know, that fine balance. Okay, like, if we take it right away, then, you know, it can get really chippy. And, and you see that in, in NCAA, it can get really chippy. And, uh, you know, there's... You know, there's lots of different things that happen. I mean, they were they were cages as well, so it, it's a little bit different. So um, I don't know. It's it's just a fine line, but I don't I don't think there's enough fighting right now in, in any any league really, uh, even in the NHL. I'm I'm sure it's down quite a bit. So um, I think the players are able to play and and uh, you know play skilled game and play fast. So a vested in, interest in Kamloops. Uh, I don't know if you're privy to the books or any information uh, about when. Uh, Connor Bedard rolls through town, but he was selling out arenas throughout the WHL all year long. What's the impact on a on a major junior team when Connor Bedard is selling tickets at the box office? Well, I know that I know he's filled out a lot of buildings that you know the big buildings like Calgary and, and places like that 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 play in there in the NHL rinks, and they were selling those out. I know that. I mean, obviously, Canvas we have great fan support, so you know we're pretty, you know a guy like him coming in would you know definitely get to a sellout for sure. And, and uh, he's just a special player. And, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing his career progress and it's going to be pretty exciting. Yep. He'll be selling out NHL rinks next year when he's uh, drafted first overall and breaks into the NHL uh, for the 2023, 24 season. We look forward to that. And we look forward to talking to you again one day, Mark, uh, this was fun and hopefully we can do it again soon. Absolutely. Have a great day. Thanks for having me on. You too. Appreciate that's Mark Recchi, a three-time Stanley cup cha- champion and a hockey Hall of Famer. I think he went in in 2017. He sure did. Um, Cup champ with the Penguins, the Hurricanes, and the Bruins. So he's he's won them all. So a different way you can look at a career, right? Like uh, if if we have Aaron Rose on the line, we can get to that. But I just want to quickly say, like, what kind of career? I don't know. I was always watching soccer growing up a little bit. I was always like, man, how cool would it be to just like bounce around different European cities, play for PSG and then Liverpool and then Manchester and experience everything. Well, Recky kind of had that at the NHL Mm -hmm. level, experienced a lot of different markets, both sides of different rivalries, winning Stanley Cup in Boston, starting in Pittsburgh, a very, very cool career. I know it's all about like staying in one spot now, but I think Mark Recky's career is one of the coolest that you could possibly imagine. Um, we're just going to, before we quickly take Aaron Rose on the line, we're just going to give away some tickets to Dirks Bentley. Um, we've been doing this all week long, coming to Bud Stage on June 1st as a part of his Gravel and Gold Tour with special guests Jordan Davis, Molly Tuttle, and Golden Highway. We're giving away tickets. Today is the last opportunity tuning into the Fan Morning Show, listening for the Daily Code Word. 
Text it in at 59590. Today's code word is Cowboy Boots. Text Cowboy Boots to 59590 for your chance to win. If you don't win with us today, you can grab your tickets at ticketmaster.ca starting today at 10 a.m. That's Cowboy Boots 59590 for your chance to win Dirk's Bentley tickets at Bud Stage on June 1st. Perfect. All right, we've got Raptors reporter Aaron Rose joining us. Buddy, it's been a little while. I think last time you were here was the day of the trade deadline or the day before the trade deadline in studio, though. Things have changed for the better, for the worse. How are we doing? I'm shocked you guys are having me back after everything I said on deadline day proved to be incorrect. (laughs) So uh, thanks for having me back. I mean, we were wrong for about two weeks straight. Actually, that might be a little light. It might have been a month straight (laughs) what we were expecting and what uh, I guess did actually happen. I want to, we'll talk about what's the Raptors reality right now and everything that's going on with the rest of the season. But our buddy, Michael Range made some waves yesterday comparing the career of Steve Nash to what could be of Shea Gilgis Alexander. Do you think it's possible that Shea, when it's all said and is and is done, has passed Steve Nash and maybe is the greatest Canadian to ever do it? Talent-wise, Shea is like in another world compared to so many players. He's like one of the best players in the league, probably a tier below the true superstars like the Giannis and the Beads, where Steve Nash eventually got to. But the thing that Shea hasn't figured out, and I don't put this really on his back, more so on the Thunder organization, but he's got to start winning. And I think that's what we saw uh, Nash do for so many years, although never quite get over the hump. But sooner or later, that Thunder team is going to have to start turning things around, start winning some games. They took a step forward this year, but I think next year is the real season for them. Shea has everything he could possibly do except for win basketball games. And we talked about that on the deadline, but eventually that starts to matter a little bit. Yeah, so the uh, OKC have this exact same record as the Toronto Raptors as of last night's loss and Raptors win, but how close do you think OKC is? They have some really young talent. It's a very fun team to watch, like kind of a up, up-and-coming up roster in a sense. Do you think that they're a couple pieces away or they have the, the makeup right now to, to make some noise in the year or two? I think once they get Shet back next year, uh, assuming he's healthy and pretty good, I think he was the second or third pick, third pick in the draft, um, you add in another pick probably this year, and based on the way that that organization seems to run, you suspect they're probably going to keep losing some games down the stretch and get a higher pick. Maybe it's something the Raptors should consider. But anyways, um, <laughs> I, you know, they'll probably keep losing some games, get a high draft pick. Maybe they'll make a trade for somebody with all their draft picks um, they have this year, next year, moving forward. So I think that sooner or later, they're going to make that move, start moving up the standings. And again, Shea's just getting better and better and better. Eventually, you can't lose that many games with a guy as talented as Shea. All right, so Raptors are six straight win at home. They're season high um, with the win over the Thunder last night. Uh, what's going on with that home court advantage? Is it just a comfortability, a weird blip in terms of statistics? But the Raptors have been just red hot when they come back to Scotiabank Arena. Yeah, I'm not sure I can read into it too much. They certainly had a road trip where they played a bunch of tough teams, were close in a couple of those games, came back home and had that real marquee game Mm -hmm. uh, victory against the Denver Nuggets. I remember a couple years ago, maybe it was the COVID year, where the Raptors couldn't win games at home, where they couldn't win games at home in front of fans, and then the fans would leave because of the COVID lockdowns, and then they started winning again. (laughs) So I have such a tough time reading into uh, home versus road. But... um, Right now, I would just say it's probably just a blip in, in the way the season is going. 
putting together a little momentum, though, you said with that win against the Nuggets and then last night with the Thunder, um, and then you kind of joked about, oh, maybe they should take a look at getting a higher draft pick. So right now the Raptors are are not too far out of eighth, I believe, just a half game back or already on the on the heels of that. Um, how important is this this next, I guess, home stretch in terms of the Raptors maybe actually making some noise in the standings or I guess on the other side, the flip coin of it is that they could actually fall much further out of contention and maybe go for that lottery pick. Yeah, I sort of said that tongue-in-cheek because mm-hmm. this organization has, has shown that that's not the direction they want to go, for better or for worse. At this point, they're trying to win basketball games. And as you mentioned, they're only a half game back of the eighth seed. And at this point, that's the goal. I think the seventh seed in the Miami Heat is a little bit out of reach. I think the sixth seed is certainly out of reach. So your goal is the eighth seed, and that probably means – you know, if if you get it, you're either playing the 76ers or the Celtics or you stay in that 8-9 eight, uh, eight, game and you're playing the, the Milwaukee Bucks, best-case scenario in the first round. And that's not a great outcome for this organization. I'm not sure why we're so uh, excited about that. But if that's what you're going for, at least you get some playoff experience and uh, you, you get a couple play-in games or maybe one play-in game on the road. Hopefully you win that game if you're if – you're, that's what you're hoping for, I guess. Um and as we talked about at the deadline, it's all about getting playoff experience and seeing what this group can do. The last two wins have shown that maybe there's something here. But I feel like every time we've talked about this team taking a step forward, it's come with a, a step back. So at this point, I'm a little skeptical and jaded maybe. Um, but if they keep doing it and finish this season strong, then, it, then it's certainly a, a feather in the cap of Nick Nurse um, and maybe this organization heading into the summer. Uh, if there was a development from last night's game, I think it was that precious Achua picked up uh, DND from Nick Nurse, not seeing the floor. How is it that precious has seemed to regress here in the middle of this season? Honestly, it, it, it's a big problem. And that's one of the things where you talk about what's the goal of this organization moving forward. Is the goal to let that guy develop or is the goal to win basketball games? And Unfortunately, he's had a really, really um, – he's, he has not taken a step forward. He's had a disappointing season this year. I think he would admit that. And it started with that injury on the ankle that I think he missed a month for, and he has never been able to find his groove. When we came into the season talking about, you know, how was this team going to be better than last year? It started with Scotty Barnes taking a step forward, and then the number two guy was Precious Achua, and it's unfortunate that that just hasn't materialized. I'm not ready to write him off or anything, but it's certainly uh, concerning that he's fallen so far out of the rotation. As you mentioned, DNP last night, um, you have Christian Coloco who played some solid minutes, but I don't think Nick Nurse sort of said at the beginning of the year, that wasn't the plan for Christian Coloco to be seeing, you know, serious rotation minutes for this team. He's valuable, but he probably shouldn't be as valuable as he's proven to be at times this season uh, for the Raptors. But However, they can get Precious Achua back in the rotation. He obviously needs to prove it, but they really need that guy to develop for the future of this team. Uh, I, I get that you're, uh, you're bracing for the summer already to a certain extent. Like you don't seem, seem to be, and, and you're right, I think, to be doing this, but believing in the prospects of success this season, a little jaded, maybe just not buying the Kool-Aid, just understanding that, yeah, if they get through the play-in, running into a wall probably immediately with whomever they might play in the first round. So for that reason, yeah, the, what happens this summer is probably what is more important than what happens uh, down the stretch here and into the postseason unless they go on some sort of miracle run. So if you are bracing for the summer, if you are preparing for the summer, if you're considering what the luxury tax might be and, and signing contracts to uh, for Fred Van Vliet and maybe Gary Trent Jr. and dealing with Jakob Pertl and all that's going to go into the summer, 
What do you think needs to happen? Like, what is the smart way forward for this organization when considering what it has to do this summer? They cannot let anyone uh, leave this summer. That's the biggest thing. So not that this team has been so good, but of their three free agents, their three free free agents, so they can let Sad Young go and they probably will, but they can't let anyone walk for nothing. It's this weird thing in the NBA where you – let some guys go, but you can't replace them with anyone else because of the way the tax or because of the way the salary cap works. So if you let Fred VanVleet, Gary Trent Jr., or Jakob Pertl walk for nothing, then then you have this massive hole in your roster, and the Raptors are already very thin. Replacing them with nothing or you know a signing trade where you get a second round pick back is not going to help you next season whatsoever. So I said at the trade deadline, I'm not sure I entirely believed it, but at the bare minimum, this team either. Whatever happened at the trade deadline, this team cannot let anyone walk for nothing um, this summer. So that's that's priority number one. And then after that, it has to be to continue to get better. I think this season was a step back and a blip. I don't think this team is going to be this bad next year. So it's about putting your team in the best position to move forward next year. But I'm also, I've learned not to count on mid-level exception guys, guys like Otto Porter Jr. This team has no track record of ever bringing in guys who really make a difference at that you know, financial level. So it's just development from guys like Precious that you in next summer. Um, and it's, and it's making sure that this team remains relatively intact. I don't know if they're going out there and making some big Kevin Durant splash, whoever the next Kevin Durant is that hits the market. That's not what's going to happen this summer uh, for the Raptors. But you also don't think they'll willingly take a major step back. No, it doesn't. They've shown that they're not really interested in taking a step back. And then the problem with taking a step back, and I think we talked about this on deadline day, was they traded that pick. I'm not sure if we knew the protections on it. So they would really have to take a step back to to get into that bottom six. Otherwise, you're risking giving the San Antonio Spurs like the seventh pick in the draft. And I don't think that's something they want to do. So all indications are that they want to compete this year and they want to compete next year. They see this as maybe just a blip. And maybe they'll go out and make a trade in the summer, but that trade has to make them better because, again, you don't want to be giving the San Antonio Spurs sort of a medium lottery pick. You'd have to be really, really bad. We see how bad some of those teams are at the bottom of the NBA standings right now. Houston, San Antonio, those teams are just terrible. So Toronto would have to be that bad to really secure a bottom six pick in the draft or a top six pick, excuse me, in the draft next year. Of the three sign-and-trade candidates, uh, Pirtle, Fred, GTJ, um, who makes the most sense given the context of this season, the context of uh, seasons to come, the fact that they coveted Jakob Pertle at the trade market this year? Like, if one of them has to go, if one of them has to go to avoid the luxury tax, if one of them is more valuable on the open market or can actually get you something in return to make sure that you're not left holding the bag, who makes the most sense this summer in your eyes as a, as a sign-and-trade candidate? So I'll answer your question two ways. As a sign-and-trade candidate, the most likely one is probably Fred Van Vliet, only because of the way sign-and-trade deals work and because his market is probably smaller because I think he'll get paid the most of those three. So uh, luxury tax teams and and cap teams can't just go out and sign him because of how much money he's going to make. This team has to re-sign Jakob It doesn't make sense to trade for a guy and then sign-and-trade him or let him walk in the summer. So, excuse me, I think he'll be back with his team next year. But the guy who could leave, sort of maybe the most likely of the three to leave and maybe walk for nothing, I would say is probably Gary Trent Jr., though he probably has sort of the smaller contract. I thought that Bogdanovich contract uh, with the Hawks or extension with the Hawks was really interesting, a lot lower than I had anticipated. 
He's better, but he's also older than Gary Trent Jr. So maybe Gary could see a number. I think it was around $68 million over four years. So that was a little bit lower than I thought, and maybe something Gary could be looking at. Um, Gary's probably the most likely of the three to be off the team next year. Fred is probably the most likely of the three to be signed and traded. Again, if I'm the Raptors, I can't let any of those three leave the organization. Yeah, it's amazing thinking about what the repercussion would be to that. Like you have zero impact off zero impact off the bench if Gary Trent Jr. walks in free agency. If you get rid of Fred, I mean, I think the whole thing crumbles. And Jakob Pertle seems like, you know, for ranking the guys who have importance or precedent or future standing within the current group right now, is it Scotty, then Siakam, then Pertle? I mean, it's a tough decision either way. Yeah, we spend all season saying that this team needed the center. They finally got a center. The numbers with the center are outstanding. They just realized that they need a backup center, and they just put Coloco in the lineup. And then if you're telling me that they're going to lose their you know, prized, valuable center in the summer, that's just something that doesn't make much sense. And I think we heard about it on the trade deadline. Yeah, for Pretzel stuff, like they traded me knowing that they could resign me. Masai um, Ujiri said they always value resigning their guys. So Yaka Pretzel is going to be back with this team next year. Yeah, a lot to consider. Maybe uh, playing for what? Playing for something here because this, it might look a lot different. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know if the pressure will change. I don't know if the expectations will change. But there's no really easy answer from a long-term standpoint. And I guess for that or until then, you can focus on the present. Uh, don't worry about uh, not getting the trade deadline right, by the way. Uh, we'll always have you back on, Aaron Rose. <laughs> Looking forward to it next time. Uh, that's Aaron Rose, Raptors reporter at Sports Illustrator, one of our guys. Before we talk to Shai Davidi, I wanted to update one of our stories from yesterday about Edwin Diaz. Mm. He's expected to miss the entire season with a torn patellar tendon. Mm, patellar tendon. After injuring his right knee while celebrating the victory at the World Baseball Classic. Pretty, pretty tough outcome from that. Edwin Diaz just signed a massive, massive deal. Yeah. I think it was the highest ever for uh, a closer. Like, I think it was one of the most lucrative deals <laughs> in MLB history for that position. I don't doubt it. And he was so electric. He won the hearts of many, many fans in the MLB. I mean, it doesn't matter what team you like. Do you like the trumpets? Real cynical look at it, but like, that's probably why he felt comfortable going because he was paid, right? And that's kind of the position that these teams are in where it's, if he was you know, on the verge of maybe signing that extension or this was the contract year, probably not involved in that celebration because probably not there. Uh, but there's a little less risk, I guess, for the player to be involved when you've already been paid. And I don't know. good old Stevie Cohen's throwing money around like it doesn't really matter over there. $102 million, the richest contract ever for yeah, a relief sucks. pitcher. It sucks. He's not going to lose that $102 million, which is a good thing for him. Uh, but sucks for the Mets, sucks for baseball, sucks for fans who really loved watching him pitch and watching him walk to the mound. And sucks for fans of Timmy Trumpet. Oh, I feel for the guy, but the Mets, they'll find a way. Just find some more money if in the bag somewhere. If one team can pay their way out of a problem, it's the New York Mets. All right, we're going to talk to Shai Davidi on the other side of the break and then got some fun information afterwards about Zoom. You know Zoom. I'm aware. Pandemic Zoom. I hate Zoom. Well, they might be making their way into baseball broadcasts. We'll talk about that after we talk to Shai Davidi, who's been at the WBC covering Canada, and now we can recap that tournament and what it might mean for the future of Canada baseball. That's next on the other side of the break.